Hey everyone, and welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. In this episode, Chris is answering your questions as directly from the Refine Lab LinkedIn page on building a business or a side hustle. Hope you enjoy. From Refine Labs, this is State of Demand Gen. So we had a question from Brian Strauss. I've gotten into consulting in my first time outside of work. How should I structure compensation where you set the boundaries of your scope hands-on versus directing them how to do it? So there's a lot of different ways to tackle this. Um, And a lot of people right now are doing this exact thing. So working at a company as well as doing some side consulting because they realize that their expertise is valuable. Um, to collect other uh, other income and to and also to get more experience, seeing a bunch of other companies and how they're operating is beneficial to the company that you work for right now because that you get a more broad view. So any company that's listening to this being like, I don't want my people consulting for other ones, you need to think differently about the stuff that they're learning that they bring back into your company. Um, and so the structure of the scope is can be in a bunch of different ways. So you can structure it hourly. Um, so you could set an hourly rate. I don't personally like that one because I think tracking time is, uh, is uh, undermines your expertise and it's just fucking annoying. Um, and so I don't recommend tracking time. Um, another one is you could just have a flat retainer, but the flat retainer over a monthly period, like let's just pretend it's 5k a month or something, um, could lead to, uh, you potentially doing more outside of scope work. Um, so that's something that you need to think about. Um, and then the combination of you could do a retainer with a capped hours, which is probably what I would recommend. So having a, um, we'll do whatever five, just pick your price, 5k a month for a, uh, maximum of 10 hours. Um, and in, and then inside of that, if you want to define here are the things that I'll help with, here are the things that I'll consult on here, are the things that I won't execute on or things like that. Those are details that you can agree on and put in the scope with a, with a company or you can leave it broad so that um, so that you have flexibility to do a lot of different things. Um, it depends what you want to do. If you want to just be um, if you want to do pure consulting, like you get on a call, you give people advice, then you leave and you never have to think about it again, then you should make sure that you structure it that way. So this is this is kind of a follow up. He's asking how you handled pushback on marketing strategies at the beginning. Uh, when you were giving these these demand gen strategies that didn't align with kind of the antiquated strategies that companies were currently using before you kind of grew that audience? By picking the right customers that believe in it. Um, this is tough for people, but as a consultant, like the last thing that you want to be doing as a consultant is working with companies that don't want your advice or don't agree with your advice. It's the stupidest thing ever. Um, and so by do there's two things to do. You need inside of the process when you're deciding whether or not to work together to be very direct about the strategy, what it's going to do, and that we need buy-in in order for this to be successful. That's one. And the other piece is if you are doing marketing or sharing your thoughts online, naturally you will attract people that believe in those thoughts who will come to you and say, Hey, I want, you know, the things that you've been posting are things that I really resonate with. I want to see if we could work together. And so by doing marketing on your thoughts, you actually attract people that have a much greater affinity and likelihood to buy into your strategies. 
So, um, but choosing the right customers is the number one thing here. And it's just uh, for people that are thinking it, it's like, you have the choice as the expert, as the consultant, you, like you shouldn't need to go and work for a company that doesn't believe in your stuff. So um, just shifting it, and this is all about how you think, shifting it from the company has the power to I have the, I have the leverage and the advantage because I have the expertise that they need. And there are, there's a huge shortage in the market of people that know the things that I know. We have, a, we have a question from Darcy M. I'm in the process of building out an MVP deck for a side project. And I've gotten solid feedback from peers so far, but want to test it on the next level. How do you pressure test your offering for going to market? So you are welcome to run qualitative interviews with customers or pay people to run focus groups. There's a lot of like ways that you can do it, but honestly, the best way to do it is to go to market and try it and see how people respond and feel how people respond and iterate in real life. Um, and so there is like, I don't know, school or education or things like that teach you that everything needs to be perfect when you start so that when you go, it's all thought out. But what I found as uh, a marketer and an entrepreneur is that the, the thing that you, you need to try things, knowing, being okay, knowing that a lot of things aren't going to work, but when they don't work that you learn. And so and that's the number one thing. So I would recommend just getting that stuff into market, trying it with real people in real situations and learning and iterating from there. And then a, a follow up on that same question from Darcy would also love to understand what your tipping point was. Was there a particular moment or event that made you realize Refine Labs was going to grow the way that it has? Um, I think there's been multiple major inflection points. And so uh, the first one was in January 2020, one of our first early SaaS companies um, that believed in the model hired us and about four months later started to see dramatic improvements in their pipeline generation, close one revenue, sales cycle lengths, all the things that we talk about in this podcast. So early customer success at a series A company, and then paired with like six months later, having ridiculous, tremendous success with a series D company, talking like 300% increase in pipeline in, in six, less than six months for a series D company. Um, and so the customer success was a huge part of it that then was started that got continuously validated through people sharing that they enjoy the thoughts and insights that they're very unique. So basically the market indicating to you that, hey, your point of view is something that's definitely resonating with me. And then paired with some external um, validation from like when the Forbes article was published about our company and things like that. So uh, Generally, I think that there's there wasn't any one single moment, but with a lot of different data points of all the ingredients that you need to be successful, customers that have success, a scalable operation, an ability to hire talent, the right financial structure, and, and so that you can actually make a profit in a business, um, all the you know pr and things like that all the other all the signals that you need to have a successful business it was all combined to uh as an indicator this is definitely going to work all right we've got a question from maury kosh how do you increase your roi of digital marketing strategies for a small business i mean there's 
there's plenty of different ways to do it. But I think the first one is to look at what you're doing right now. Where is the money being spent? So let's just pretend small business. You got three headcount in marketing. You're working with some small firm to do PR and you have another firm doing PPC SEO. Your total marketing spend is whatever, 50K a month. Um, and you're getting back from that 50K in revenue. So a one-to-one um, payback, which is acceptable for a venture-funded company in a lot of cases, but probably not acceptable for your small business with three marketing employees. And so you got to start to figure out what are the thing, where are we spending money that's either driving results at too high of a cost or not driving results and cut them out. This is a recommendation for small business, but it's a recommendation for everybody. Like we go into companies and the first thing that you do is you can shave off the top like 50% or more of the budget that gets wasted on programs that don't deliver. And there's clear data in Salesforce showing that they don't deliver. And so cut out the things that aren't working will give you a lift of ROI. You'll have an, immediate, an improved baseline. And then you need to go and figure out where are the biggest opportunities to get the best ROI in marketing. The best places to get ROI in marketing right now are a community, organic social, running a podcast, and leveraging some paid channels um, to supplement that depending on if you're good at using the channels like uh, Reddit or Quora or some of the more less mature platforms could have um, significant upside. Or if you're just very good at Facebook and Instagram ads, that could work as well. But the, to summarize, cut out the stuff that's clearly not working. Some of that's going to be you're going to pure data. Some of that you're going to have to make assessments and gut feel. And then add in things that that are shown either by data or watching other people do it or how your buyers tell you that they're buying or whatever signals that you decide to do it the things that are going to have the highest ROI. And then as you blend those two things together, you improve our marketing ROI. Just real quick to, to clarify on the, the community comment, do you recommend building a community or getting involved in different communities or both? Um, I think both can work, but let's imagine that you, your small business is a, like a um, health juice shop in, you know, Buffalo, New York. Okay. So you have a health juice shop in Buffalo, New York, a appropriate, or I think a smart strategy for the community would be to create a health centric Facebook group or something for people that live in the Buffalo area. Um, and so I think that it's always more advantageous and longer term, just, just a better move to create one yourself. You have to have the right mindset and the right intentions when you actually create it. Note that I didn't make it the juice lovers group it's the health group and juice is one of those components that you can do to get healthy but there's probably other things that people are going to need and depending on whether you're a local a regional a national or a global business the, the how you would actually execute it can be quite different we've got a question from jennifer mashborn how do you create office culture with remote teams this is a great question because um people think that you need an office to create culture. But what you really need are leaders that make decisions that align with the values of the company and the culture that you want to create. And it doesn't matter whether you make those decisions for a remote distributed team, an in-house, like a, sorry, a physical office team or some level of a hybrid. Culture gets driven purely through the decisions that leaders make how they behave, the behaviors of the employees that they accept and the behaviors that they do not tolerate. 
Um, and then it also comes down to hiring. So who are you bringing into the organization? Um, so those are the those are the ingredients that matter. Those are the ingredients that are making it successful for us here at Refine Labs is that we have leaders that do what we say we're going to do, uh, that we that we prioritize our values over anything else, that we put employees first, customers second, and shareholders third. Most companies do the exact reverse. They put shareholders first, customers second, and employees third. And so um, having the right intentions and doing the right things as leaders is what really creates culture. And I can definitely uh, attest to that. That the the culture that you guys have built here at Refine Labs is is unlike anything I've ever uh, experienced before. Me too, man. It's beautiful. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end it off with a question from Evan Hughes from our internal team. He wants to know what has been the hardest decision that has been made uh, since starting the company. And how did you come to the decision? Hmm. Mm. The, the, the decision that we've always toyed with here is whether or not to raise money from inve outside investors. Um, especially when you're bootstrapped, you start the company with $30,000 in the bank and you have to cash flow positive and cash flow your customers that say, Hey, we want 30 or 60 day terms. And then when you give them 30 or 60 day terms, they don't even pay their bills on time. It's the worst thing ever. Um, and so anyway, you got like, uh, to cash flow, the growth, um, requires significant profitability to, to support that the growth. Um, and so multiple times had looked at had considered whether or not an outside investment was necessary to continue the growth or to just accelerate the, the clear vision that we have that we know is going to work and always ended up back at the place where we, we want to as shareholders and leaders in the company to always maintain 100% control over the strategy, over how we treat employees and over our growth path. And so we've always uh, chosen against that. And then this uh, great company called Pipe, uh, we were introduced to earlier this year, which allows us to um, basically uh, finance the company through the revenue that gets generated through customer contracts instead of through outside investors that doesn't have equity dilution, which has been um, amazing and has created the cash flow necessary to continue to fuel our growth into the next phase. So um, that was probably the heart. We probably can remember three or four really interesting conversations when things might be moving a little bit too slow or we think that there's a big opportunity that we could capitalize on if we had more funds and things like that but and and there's a place and a time for those types of things but what i found is that um, a lot of the things that we've discovered at refine labs and a lot of the things that we've done that has been wildly successful the reason that we've discovered them and that we've done them is because we didn't have the resources and so a low, availability, a low availability of resources forces hard work, innovation, things like that, that companies that raise hundreds of millions of dollars don't get forced to explore and make. Um, and so, uh, yeah, those are, those are, that was the hardest decision that we've toyed with. We've always chosen no up to this point. Well, that was the last question that we, that we had come through uh, the LinkedIn post. Is there anything that you want to close on for anyone starting a side hustle or their own business? I think the number one thing of, even if you're not starting it right now, but maybe you want to sometime in the future is to start building 
an audience and start building people that um, are aware of your capabilities and skills and points of view by using the internet so that in the future, you can deploy that attention against your own business, whether that's a service or a product or any other type of way. It's like, it's the ultimate leverage to not be not necessarily having to be an employee, a W2 employee for the rest of your, your life. And so I think there's a huge opportunity there. And to actually win on a platform like LinkedIn, you have to create things that people can use immediately and get business value or personal value from immediately. Not by posting a picture of Times Square, calling out and celebrating the award that you won. And then when you actually go and look under the hood, the award that you got was actually awarded to you by the investment firm that just led your Series C round. Like uh, getting an award from the company that just raised, that just gave you $60 million is probably not, probably terribly unbiased. And so anyway, stopping to stopping the celebrations on LinkedIn, again, there's a place for them, but you can't just always be celebrating. You need to have things. And the reason that reason that me and some other people have been able to win is because there's a ton of people that get value out of this stuff for free for years. Um, and that's how you build and win. For sure. Great advice. Hey, and also if, um, we're, we're trying a couple of different, uh, like new content formats here. So you could see this wasn't 100% focused on demand gen. Um, and so would love uh, if you could shoot me a, uh, a note on DM, a, a LinkedIn DM. Let me know what you thought as the feedback. That'd be really helpful to know whether to keep doing these or to switch up the content. So appreciate you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. You know, it's crazy to think that now more than 15,000 demand marketers, sales reps, product marketers, field marketers, CMOs, and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you and see you for the next episode.